0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day that you're listening to this. We are not live for you, but we're live for us as we're sitting down Mm -hmm. to talk again uh, about a chapter from the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 6 this week. Got Jason with me once again, and we're uh, eager to talk about... uh, This is a shorter chapter compared to uh, the previous chapters, so maybe we won't be as long-winded as we... Tend to be, uh, but there's still lots packed into this uh, short little section of scripture. You ready to talk about Acts chapter 6? I'm ready, let's do it. All right, so uh, at the end of chapter 5, uh, we, we had been noticing uh, problems that the early church was facing from the outside. Uh, there was the Sanhedrin Council uh, and the other uh, groups of, of the sects within the Jewish. Uh, establishment uh, causing problems for for the church or at least trying to cause problems for the church. But as we come to chapter 6 we find that problems are are not always from without. Sometimes problems come from within and uh, this is actually the harsh reality of uh, churches even in the 21st century. In fact sometimes especially living in the United States where we do enjoy incredible uh, freedoms, to be able to practice our religion and uh, worship God, as, 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 as we believe the Scripture in, instructs us to do, um, we maybe don't face a lot of the outside problems that the first century church did. And so it does seem that more often than not, our problems do come from, from the inside. And uh, that especially happens in churches that are, that are growing. And the Jerusalem Church in the first century was no exception to that. They were a growing, blossoming church. We've had some mentions of, you know, specific numbers. We're talking in the thousands. It's really getting to the point now where Luke's just kind of stopped keeping count, and he's just going to refer to the church in the terms of uh, great growth, multitudes, those types of uh, expressions. Um, but there's growing pains that goes along with that. And Acts chapter six is. Uh, an illustration of that, and it also is a great model and a pattern for us about how we deal with those growing pains. And so that makes Acts chapter 6 really, really valuable on on a number of fronts. So let's read a little bit here to kind of set the stage. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, uh, let's just paint the scene. What, what, what exactly is the, the problem and the conundrum that the church is facing here in Acts chapter
1: 6? Well, you think you have this group that primarily was from Jerusalem and lived in Jerusalem who uh, tended to be uh, more traditional in, in the way that they viewed things. They spoke the Hebrew language, um, and they were very uh, strict and hardcore about making sure that they, they followed all of those uh, cultural regulations even. Um, but then you have this group that, that comes from outside Jerusalem, uh, maybe some of the far-reaching countries that, that we read about in Acts 2, um, some of those places that uh, weren't so strict on the Hebrew language and culture, but they had been influenced more by the Greek Um, type of culture, Mm -hmm. and even the language and some of those things, and those were called either the Hellenists or, um, you know, some versions might just say Greek-speaking Jews. Yeah. Uh, They were still Jews, and they still followed the law of Moses, but it was just uh, the language and some of the cultural things that they did, um, it, it was different than what these people in Jerusalem were used to.
0: Yeah, so we've got these... Uh, the Greek-speaking Jews, and then we might, the, the one that's just referred to as the Hebrews. We might call these kind of the native-born uh, Hebrew uh, people. And um, all right, so you, we we've got, and they're having to try to figure out how to be the church. You okay. know, we get, God has called all of these different types of people, and of course. This is just really uh, the tip of the iceberg of what's going to happen once the gospel gets opened up to Gentiles. Mm. Think about the assimilation that's going to have to happen then. But God has called all of these different people from different backgrounds and you know, b- b- different cultural uh, things and languages, uh, and they're having to come together and to be one. And that's not always easy, and in this particular case, it seems as if there was... The word the ESV uses is the word uh, neglect. I think other translations use the word. Uh, they're being overlooked. Right. Uh, one translation actually says uh, some of these widows were, were being discriminated against. Now, I, I think that's probably kind of the, the worst-case scenario. Uh, that maybe there was some, uh, some some favoritism or some partiality being shown. Um, I, I, I would tend and I would like to kind of err more on the side of th- that they just were being neglected and they just weren't getting the same amount of attention as the others and uh, that it was purely just an oversight. Uh, that, that's okay. me kind of thinking best-case scenario. And I'm thinking, too, I
1: mean, you, you just think... Who is more likely to be overlooked? If Because you have the, this massive amount of people who are probably needing to get this food mm-hmm. and that they're taking food to. Uh, the people that they're going to make sure that they get uh, are the people who, I don't know, have lived there for a long time and yeah. have been in the city and, and, and involved and everybody knows them. And, you know, we're not going to forget this one over here because you know, I'll see her every day. Yeah. But those who might be from some of these far, far away places uh, who are just, you know, still in Jerusalem. Yeah there's more of a chance that they're going to be overlooked
0: right this sister so and so that I've been checking on you know once a week every week for the last 6 years of mm. course she's going to be at the top of your You know, kind of priority list in your mind, uh, as opposed to this new sister who's only just recently, in the last few weeks, been amongst our ranks, and I really don't even know her that well because the church has thousands of people in it, and it's (laughs) hard to. Yeah, I'm not even sure that I know everybody's name yet. Um, it kind of makes it real when you talk about it in 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 those terms.
1: It's there is a legitimate logistical issue here. You know, you think of try. How do we get to all of these people? Yes. Which we don't know how many were involved in the specific you know feeding programs or whatever that they were doing but um, there was there's there's got to be a lot apparently well let's talk
0: about that the the, the, the feeding program or the, the the daily distribution or the daily administration it's uh, it's rendered differently in different different translations but I, I pulled this from a, a a commentary and I thought it was kind of helpful. I'm just going to read it here. But the commentator says two forms of benevolence were practiced by the Jews at that time in history. Every Friday, officers would collect money for the poor in a box and then distribute enough for 14 meals to those who were the poor residents in that community, poor Christians in that community. The second form was for poor strangers. So here's like kind of the outsiders. Here would in our scenario, this would be like the the Hellenists. Mm. Um, The second form was for poor strangers whose presence was temporary. And the officers would go house to house to fill a tray with food and drink from which they would distribute to the poor. And the description that Luke gives here implies that the church had adopted a combination of those methods for this daily distribution of food uh, to the widows. And... um, uh, that whether it's exactly like that or not, I don't know. But it kind of helps, kind of maybe paint a little bit more clear picture of what that looked like on a practical, day to day, week to week kind of basis. Um, the collecting of uh, food, and then the, even the collecting of, of of food to be distributed uh, accordingly. Um, whatever it was, there was a need. That, 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 that's the main thing here. This is not people who were. Um, that, that had relatives that were able to take care of them. The indication here seems to me that these are widows who do not have family members that are able to provide for them, and so their spiritual family is who's being called upon in this circumstance to see to it that their their needs are being met.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we saw that Acts two about you know how unified they were. There were nobody had a need because of this. Yep. We saw that in Acts four as well that, you know, they were giving and, and that they were taking care of those needs. I think there there's a major difference here, and I, I guess it would be good to mention that there's a difference in serving people who have a need um, like this, mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we have some people that would say, no, we need to feed people to bring them in initially, you yeah. know, we, we, to attract people to become a Christian or to be using involved with as, anything spiritual. Using
0: it as bait.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't see that here no. at all. That's, that's not, not the mindset.
0: No. Uh, and, you know, people sometimes point to, to Jesus uh, feeding the, the crowds uh, mm-hmm. in the same way. Uh, again jesus was was he, he was meeting a need uh mm-hmm. certainly uh, and that's that's what's what's going on here um but Jesus also at times <laughs> stopped the food and that yeah. ended up kind of separating some of the the wheat from the from the chaff mm-hmm. so to speak uh John chapter six is probably the most uh glaring example of that um right. but yeah there's a there's a there's a legitimate need here amongst the this this Christian community, uh, this body of believers here in Jerusalem, uh, where there's just been this swell, this continued growth, and uh, that's just bound to happen considering the circumstances that were uh, that were going on in Jerusalem at the time. So, how are we going to deal with this situation? We've got we've got yeah man, we've essentially got two main kind of factions of people within the church now. That uh, are kind of being put at odds with one another. You've got this group over here that feels like they've been neglected, whether that's intentional or not, and that's kind of caused this other group of people to kind of have their, you know, backs pushed up against the wall. And hey, why are you all treating us this way? Um, So, how are we going to address that, and how are we going to be able to meet this need more effectively?
1: So that's you know, before we even read this and look at it, I think we should all be thinking have i ever been in a situation like this uh you know maybe not this specific issue but has there been a time where i've seen um you know the, the beginnings of division even mm-hmm. uh, you know we we feel like I don't know my group for whatever reason is being neglected or they're just not listening to me or there's there's some sort of issue that that comes up um, how have groups that we've been a part of handled yeah. that and yeah. you know how, how do we see that being handled today um, and and keep that in mind as we look at this and see what uh, the, the standard is, and see what they did the very first time anything like this happened.
0: Yeah. Our default setting should always be, I'm going to assume the best of my brethren. Mm. It, maybe it's a good rule of thumb just for my dealings with anyone, but especially when we're talking about our dealings with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, my default reaction should always be, okay, I think they intended the best there. Uh, there was not intentional harm meant by that. But we do have this problem, and, and so, yeah. so, so how, can we, how can we work through that? Um, and this situation here with, with how the apostles are, are going to kind of govern the, the solution here really needs to kind of guide our, 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 our problem-solving. And uh, yeah. Verse number 2, let's just read it. So the twelve, the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So let's just think about what the apostles have um, suggested. Well, maybe not suggested. <laughs> they're commanding to be done here. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're working with authority. Uh, in, in some ways, you know, there's no mention yet in Acts Of the church having elders at least as we recognize them Uh, at this point in time we're still under apostolic leadership Uh, and and a big reason for that is because essentially all the christians that exist in the world are right here in this one place of course acts chapter 8 is going to change all of that as these christians have to to disperse and, and go elsewhere and that's shortly after that's when we're going to start seeing you know, local church leadership uh, in the introduction of elders. But the apostles here are kind of acting as, as de facto elders, uh, we would maybe say. And so the things that they have to offer here uh, and the the words that they have to say are certainly authoritative. And um, the suggestions, the, the words that they say here, um, demonstrates a lot of wisdom on their part. First of all, I just would want us to notice the fact that they uh, address this problem head on with everybody. Mm. It says they summoned the whole group together. This is not, you know, a, a handful of us who are the problem solvers, uh who think we have all the best ideas that we're just going to go over here in a back door, you know, closed room situation and we're going to figure this out. Uh this is not even a, you know, the, the men's business meeting format or or anything like that. This is hey, this is a congregation wide issue. And so we're going to call together the whole congregation to think about how to uh, address this. And that shows, if nothing else, kind of just full transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's one reason that they went about approaching it in this way. Uh, another reason for kind of getting everybody is so that we can have buy-in from the congregation on on how we're going to deal with this going forward. You know, knowing that everybody. Um, is is part of the discussions and part of the uh, the solutions that are being offered. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not, um, you know, hey, I'm just gonna say this and then we're gonna tell you all later and give you instructions. No, it's like we get to be a part of that that initial discussion and so now I'm I'm invested in that and hey, yes, this is this is, uh, yes, it's the Lord's church but it's also, it's our church Mm. and I'm fine with saying that. I recognize that Yes, the church is Christ. It belongs to Him. That's why we call it the church of Christ. It belongs to Christ. But in a different sense, it is ours. Just like when I say, hey, that's that's my bank. Mm -hmm. I don't own the bank, but that's where I do my banking at. Or if a kid says, hey, that's my school. Well, it's not their school, but they do have an investment in it. And that's kind of what we're what I'm trying to kind of get across here is the idea that I have an investment in the life of this congregation and want us to, to do well, and I want us to get along, and I want us to be able to uh, be everything that God wants us to be. Because all of that
1: promotes unity. Yes. And I mean, that that's where, that's where I think a lot of people stray away from this, you know. We've, we've read about unity all the way through, and we can see how this specifically is helping to increase that Yes, uh, at, a, at a time when that, that unity is in question yes. and there's, there's this concern. And so um, how do we deal with division and, and any kind of divisiveness, whether it's intentional or not? Exactly like this. Yes. Yeah. Transparency, honesty, unity. Uh, you know, you, you get everybody involved. Yeah. Um, it's not um, the
0: apostles. All right. Now, us six guys of the apostles, we're gonna go over here and we're gonna talk to the to the Hellenist s- segment of our congregation, and then the other six apostles, we're gonna go over here and we're gonna talk to the to to the native born Hebrew. Nope. We're all coming together, and we're all gonna gonna talk about this. Yeah. Um. What the apostles say there at the beginning of uh, or in the middle of verse two, um, on the surface may sound to someone like it's almost kind of you know arrogant yeah. Uh, yeah. condescending um, when they say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This is not arrogance on their part, this is not the apostles somehow feeling that we're better than everybody else, or that somehow menial tasks like that, that's just so beneath us. Uh, this is simply a matter of them understanding roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities and what Christ had called them to do. We go back to the Great Commission. What did Jesus commission the apostles to do? He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to baptize them in the name the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to continue teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you uh, and to serve tables. No, that's not in there. <laughs> that wasn't part of the responsibility that Christ had given to the apostles. They had a specific uh, role that they were called upon to play and they recognized that that's where our focus needs to be. And the truth is, we've got... Literally thousands of people here yeah. who can who can get involved that you know have that that buy in and that that feeling of hey I've, this is I've got a role that I can play and they recognize that there are people who could fulfill that specific role for this specific need that needed to to be addressed here.
1: That's that's really good to look at. You know, um, sometimes I think some people get this uh, hero mindset of I want to do everything yeah. and I want to be involved with. Uh, absolutely every single thing that's going on and uh, when when it comes to to this group unity and making sure that everybody is is able to be active um, you know we can't be involved in every single thing you know are there some things that are are good things to do that I'm not going to be able to be involved in because I'm doing something else that is also good yeah yeah absolutely and and I mean uh, we, we all have our roles to play and and we need to be looking for ways that we can get others involved and, and making sure we can, we can handle that. Yes. And, you
0: know, and, uh, you know th- this is one of the marks of a good leader, um, and the apostles are, are kind of setting the standard here early on, just the principle of delegation. Mm-hmm. Because recognizing that no one person can do everything, yeah. uh, it's just not possible. Even though these guys had been endowed with, you know, Holy Spirit-given gifts, uh, well, I, as far as I can tell one of the gifts was not be able to do everything and be everywhere at every time mm-hmm. and so they, they recognize their own limitations um, but at the same time it's it's recognizing this is the role that we've been called to now let's see if there's some, some jobs that we can create for others who, who have ability as well and that's why in verse 3 that they call upon uh, hey brothers sisters pick out from among you seven men that that meets some specific kinds of qualifications. Now, before we move on, um, this is where uh, lots of folks tend to think is uh, the first deacons, or at least if nothing else, even though it may not be officially that, it may kind of serve as a template, and I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I don't know that I'm going to yeah. just definitively say that this is the first deacons, but uh, it certainly provides a template because there's some some serving that's going on. Uh, The word serve that's used there at the end of verse two uh, is from the same family of words from where we get uh, the word deacon. It's from the family diakonos. And so there's some of that in here. Um, But it certainly does set forth the idea of choosing men. The congregation is gonna choose these men and they're gonna choose them based upon a specific set of criteria that has been decided by, by the Lord um, that 's who the apostles are speaking on behalf of here uh and these qualities are not i mean they 're not arbitrary they 're not just randomly picked out now pick out seven guys who you know have strong muscles or have red hair or you know it 's not just random things like that it 's it, these are important qualifications. So let's talk about the. There's at least three things mentioned there. Uh, first of all, being of, of, of good repute, of good reputation. What's the, what's the significance of that? and Why would that be needed?
1: Well, I mean, you just think, uh, who do you want to be responsible for carrying, well, think about carrying the food around. I mean, that, that's, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also involved with that, you know, where does the food come from? How do you get to that food? Um, you want somebody you can trust with uh, potential you know, funds, maybe some money uh, that you know you need to get the food in the first place. Yeah. Uh, you, you want somebody you can trust with that, uh, somebody you trust to get the job done. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if there are certain people I know, you know, and you you've probably known some people that you give them a task to do, it's a 50 50 chance whether it's going to get done or not. Yeah. And some people, that's even lower. Yeah. Uh, but you want somebody that you can trust to get it done because the issue with people were being overlooked. Man, if we appoint somebody to the task that isn't a go-getter, some not somebody who's going to get it done, then I mean, what what's that going to solve? That's going to cause more problems. Yeah.
0: These are, the suggestion here is that these are guys that you know they're in good standing with you, um, people that you that you trust. Uh, they've got a good reputation. Uh, the second thing there. Uh, Full of the Holy Spirit. I, to me that indicates, all right, so not only are these people in, in good standing with you, mm-hmm. but if they're full of the Holy Spirit, that says that they're in good standing with God. Th- these right. are people who are uh, seeking to live uh, holy lives themselves. Um, and um, I, I, I don't think, maybe I ought to specify here, at least at this point, um, the fact that these men are full of the Holy Spirit uh, does not mean that they are filled with the Spirit in the same way that the apostles were Mm -hmm. Uh, that they're able to do miracles or anything along those lines, at least not yet. (laughs) Spoiler for when we get down here in a couple more verses. Um, But I think it just speaks to their character uh, and and, and their spiritual lives and the kind of lives that they seek to live. And then that last one there, uh, that they're full of wisdom. Uh, Mm. These are guys, you know, wisdom's often been defined as the skillful application of knowledge. So it's not just that these guys... You know, know the Bible, or they know lots of good information. No, they know how to like execute that and use that in the uh, the very best uh, possible way. Um, they're mature. Uh, they're intelligent in their their thinking. Um, I think that's the, those are the ideas that are being
1: conveyed. I mean, you're, they're going to be in a position where they're interacting directly with the people, um, and there're probably several people. So you want good representatives because if you think if the seven guys that they choose were you know low, well they wouldn't be low life scoundrels if they were part of this group, hopefully. Right. Um. But you know, if anybody of any kind of questionable background, and uh, we say, okay, these are are the uh, you know, the the representatives of the group, um, and and they're the ones interacting with people. You know, you want those that are spiritual, that have good reputation, that know how to handle situations, and know how to mm-hmm. interact with people in a positive way. You know, you don't want somebody that's going to just slam the, the food down in front of the, the widows and say, well, there you go. Right. You know, that, that's not going to go <laughs> over quite well. So you want a little bit of a... Uh, the
0: grouchy <laughs> server at the cafeteria school lunch line. <laughs> Oops.
1: Take your sloppy Joe's and get out of here. Yeah, slap the mashed potatoes down and it goes everywhere. Yeah,
0: you you need you need some guys though that. And the truth is, um, I'll tell you the way that I take this. When he says you're going to choose seven guys, who they're you're going to appoint them to this duty. um, I I actually don't even take it that these seven guys are actually going to be the ones necessarily doing all of the legwork. Right. Again, we're talking about thousands of people. So if if it's just these seven guys taking care of that entirely, uh, logistically, again, how, how's that how's that really going to work? Yeah. I, I take it that the Apostle is saying, all right, we're going to entrust these seven guys, and they're going to be over how to handle that and whatever That's they true. see best as the, the the best possible way to take care of that, which means maybe they're going to then recruit you know, other volunteers and people that can help with the, the actual distribution part and all the, the, the physical legwork that would have uh, went along with that. Um, this is a principle, though, that we do see just again and again throughout the Scripture, the idea of, of one group of people or one person equipping another person who then helps to equip another person to equip another person to equip another person to do uh, important kingdom work. Uh, I guess the verse that immediately comes to my mind and I'm just now thinking of it is in uh, 2 Timothy... uh, uh, Entrust of Faithful Men. Uh, Do you know that passage? Yes. Um, No, I couldn't tell you where it is. 2 Timothy 2... Verse 2, I was right there at it. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Verse 1, you then, my child, Paul talking to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what we've got here, we got Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, those faithful men to others, and then of course... The suggestion here is that that chain would continue on those others right. to more others to more others to more others. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, you know, talks about how the the church is given these um, offices or these these gracious gifts. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse uh, eleven, that he gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why, verse twelve. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So God gave the church these people, not so that they would just do all the work, but so that those people would then help equip other people. And we're seeing an example of that right here early on in Acts chapter 6. The apostles, those seven men, those seven men, I think inferred to others. Other men Mm -hmm. and maybe even women were involved in in helping out with uh, executing this particular work. Um, Powerful principle. It is. needs to be utilized more often, I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think we got, there's some people that, that we're just so careful because we don't want to, you know, t- can we form like, and I, I'm just going to use random words, but uh, can we form a committee, mm-hmm. you know, to take care of this? And sometimes we get a little bit antsy when we mention stuff like that. It's like, oh, I don't know. Can we do that? Yeah. It's like, well, what was this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. what 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 were they doing here? Yeah, and... and well, what are we doing? Like, you know, so like, On Sunday morning when we're having the Lord's table, all
0: right, we got four or five guys up there. Well, what are they? well, that's the committee that's going to take care of the Lord's Supper today. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, it, it, it again, is. we might yeah. think that's kind of crude to to talk of it in that way, but that I mean, it's really what it is.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. We, we just we shy away from certain terms because yeah. other people have used them in ways. And abused they, them. And, yeah. And yes. so that's, I mean, we don't want to do that, obviously. But we do see, uh, when we look at a passage like this, I, it's hard to overlook that. You know, we see that they obviously had the wisdom to take care of this, but they were uh, trusted to be put in charge of this task and i think like you were suggesting it's not that they were doing all the work individually but they were helping to delegate that and and making sure it was done yeah um and organizing that maybe even more so why it was important for them to have wisdom you know to, to know how to get people to work together um, but there are certain things that need to be done that we need to make sure that we have people to take care of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Th- this passage kind of speaks to just the reality that um, not all of the work that happens in the kingdom is uh, just purely spiritual in nature. I mean, mm. there's just there's some just we might consider mundane things, but that are kind of physical tasks that, that, that need to be done. You know, I'm always so appreciative of people that, you know, just take care of of things that I'm sometimes just oblivious to, even simple things like, you know, people that, I know we've got, like one of the brothers here, he routinely, you know, checks the the water in the baptistry and makes sure that the, you know, the water level is good before every service and the temperature Mm -hmm. thing is running and, you know, people that are checking to, uh, make sure that the light bulbs are all, you know, functioning, <laughs> sure. and you know, again, those are small things, but, but those things really, actually, they, they, they're meaningful, and, and they need to be done.
1: Yeah, it, you know, maybe we should look at this not as a distinction between physical and spiritual activities because I think sometimes we do that and yeah. we're like, you know, what do you do in your physical life? Well, what about your spiritual I know. life? and I even hesitated <laughs> to say it that way, but it was the only way I knew how to say it. Right. I, I get you, I get you. But for all of the, your, the listeners out here, yes. Uh, just to be clear, you know anything we do in life, we do with our physical body. Yeah. And so when we do any of these actions, uh, can we do it in a spiritual way? And, yeah. and you know, should we uh, be looking at even those tasks like feeding or, or taking care of, of facilities or whatever, can that be a spiritual work? Uh, absolutely, and I yeah. think that there's things. Um, but yeah, again, not saying that anything is more important than the others. You know, all of it's important, and we, it is. we need to make sure we give our, our our best effort when it comes to to anything um, involved with that. It's just a
0: matter of it's it's merely a matter of understanding where our strengths are, uh, what abilities that we have, and and recognizing what our role is. And each one of us has to figure out what's my role that's going to best utilize and maximize my talents and my resources and my abilities so that I can contribute to kingdom work. Because whether that is purely spiritual in nature, verse 4, th- thats this is what I mean when I talk about spiritual work, verse yes. 4, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Uh, or whether that is things of a, what we can, what we would consider more physical in nature, it all comes together in the same place. It's kingdom work. Yes. And if I'm involved in kingdom work, that's that, that's the goal. Right. Um, verse 5, this recommendation of the apostles it says that what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Um All seven of these names, uh, interestingly, uh, at least from what we can tell, all seem to be uh, names that are of Greek origin. Mm -hmm. And um, that seems to be kind of maybe intentional uh, in the selection of of these men, um, specifically because of the circumstances. We talked about this once before, uh, and you're the one that kind of pointed this out about that that all these guys' names are are Greek-speaking. So if we've got this complaint from... The Greek-speaking segment. All right. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to put some of these, some of essentially your own guys, yeah. uh, so to speak. Uh, they're going to be the ones in charge of it, and um, it, th- that's th- that's interesting to note. Mm-hmm. Um, the the only two names that I don't have a problem with is Stephen and Philip, uh, huh. and interestingly, those are going to be the two guys that we're going to get to learn more about here in the in the next couple of chapters.
1: Maybe that's why we're more familiar with them.
0: Probably so. Probably so. Maybe if we had maybe if for the last thirty nine years of my life I had been saying Nicanor regularly, <laughs> then maybe it would just flow more naturally. But yeah. it doesn't. Um, it, these are, of course, the folks the the seven guys that people do refer to as 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 the first deacons. Um, Maybe the one reason that I kind of struggle with just calling them the the first official deacons um, is because I think about what the actual qualifications were for a deacon that are outlined for us over in Timothy, right? Uh, and that these men would have been married men and would have had children, which makes what happens to Stephen in Acts chapter seven really painful to think about. Right? Um, if that were the case, I guess I for the longest time I've just always pictured he's just this strapping single man, uh, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was married and had children, and uh, maybe what happens to him, maybe that kind of says something about the reality of living in first century times. But, yeah. um, but we've got all of these guys. It is interesting, that last one that's mentioned there, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So here's a guy who had um, proselyted to the Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. I think that's the indication here and then of course <laughs> now he's a proselyte from the Jewish religion, now he's essentially proselyting from Judaism to Christianity, and he's become a Christian. Um, there are, and I, I read this, uh, I don't remember where I read this at one point, some have actually suggested that possibly in the book of Revelation it talks about the sect known as the Nicolaitans. Mm-hmm. Some have suggested that maybe this was a group of people that was following after this mm. guy, that maybe this guy had apostatized somewhere along the way. Now. That's total conjecture. I don't, right. I, I don't, yeah. There's nothing in Scripture that connects this dot immediately to that dot. Uh, I'm just tossing it out there into the ether, and uh, at least there are people out there that, that say that. Um, but they, these are the ones that they end up uh, selecting, and the apostles, it says, pray over them, and they lay their hands on them. Now, what's the significance there of, of them laying their hands on them?
1: Well, that, that seems to be maybe a foreshadowing or precursor to what we see in Acts 8 when uh, we find out that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that this, the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit were transferred. Um, seems like without that, without the laying on of the apostles' hands directly, um, people, I mean, you couldn't perform miracles, uh, you know, you couldn't do those types of works of the Holy Spirit without that, and yeah. so we, we find that out in Acts 8. Um, but. Up until this point of Acts, we have not seen anybody else do a miracle. Yeah. Um, But we're about to see that just here in a second. That's going to change. To one of these guys who had their hands laid
0: on. That's exactly right. Um, Up to this point, the only ones that we know of biblically who were performing miracles and signs of this nature are the apostles, uh, but now we're going to start to see that, all right? That's that's going to be made available to others. And as we connect the dots with chapter six and seven and eight, and put all these pieces together, it seems that this was the beginning of of, of some of those gifts being imparted to others uh, in that way. Um, I I mean I I may be reluctant to just say unequivocally that them laying on their hands of these seven guys meant that all seven of these guys did miracles, because the truth is. We really don't have any other information about five of these guys. True. But right. two of them, Stephen and Philip, we're going to be able to know conclusively uh, that uh, that is the case with them. Right. Uh, verse 7, we get this little um, note inserted in here before uh, the story shifts to Stephen. We're told that the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then notice this, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, that really, alright, so we've, we've had all these moments where Luke has said, you know, multiplying and multitudes and, 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 and that's great. It's great always to hear that numbers. But, but now we get a specific mention of here's a, here's a segment of, of people who become believers that, that really ought to catch our attention. That there are priests, uh, those who obviously would have been priests of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish religion, even they are now being uh, converted to Christianity and are becoming Christians, they are. Um, I mean, they're they're willing to to, to give up uh, some of the traditions. They're willing to to give up the uh, the kind of the hardcore. You know, we're sticking to the law of Moses, and that's all that we are. Uh, kind of mentality. Uh, we see that there's merit to to this uh, message that these guys are preaching, and the evidence is overwhelming. And I mean, we're, we're jumping on
1: this. We, we want to be Christians. Yeah, man, just to think of, about what that means for them specifically. You, you know, you had the group of, of people that they've, they've had so much problems. Out of. The apostles have had so much problems with the past couple chapters. Uh, involved the high priest and mm-hmm. a lot of the, the Jewish leadership. Now, if you are a Jew, especially a Jew of high standing like a priest would be, and you decide to follow these guys and to become part of this that's a big deal. Yeah. Um and, and that cannot be overstated. Um because it, it that changes everything.
0: It's a dramatic change of lifestyle. Um just your, you, all the way down to just your daily routines would become yeah. totally different. Right. Uh th- how that would then affect your family uh and um Yeah, Uh, this is a big deal, and that's why Luke saw fit to include that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in the Gospels, the the priests are are generally kind of depicted as as villains in the story, and and I guess rightfully so, um, because of their just resistance to to Jesus and his teaching. But but having said that, these are men that would have been well-trained, well schooled yeah. uh and noteworthy in their own regard um and so here's these men that they would have possessed you know a mastery of the law of moses um that's a that's a good skill to have if you're yeah. using it correctly you know if your understanding of the scriptures is causing you to to connect the dots between what was prophesied back then to okay that's the christ oh yep this all works together uh, I want a guy like that on my team. Yeah. Um, here's a guy who's who brings, uh, again, just some 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 resources and some skills uh, to the table of Christianity uh, that others w- would not have had. Uh, especially, you think about all these new converts that have come from. Uh, you know maybe from far away and didn't have all the advantages that these guys would have had um, i think this is a, a great example of early on of, of christianity um you know let's let's make use of of what is available to us and i'd like to think that these priests that had been converted they would have been just powerful assets in the you early know, days yeah you know,
1: definitely church. so you you think uh, true faith does not fear scrutiny mm-hmm. um, and you have somebody who is well versed in the law who knows it, it extremely well um, and for them to to come to knowledge of the faith and and to you know convert and become part of that that shows that there is something special to this. Yeah. Same thing with Christianity today. I think some people think that following the Lord and and that sort of thing requires you to make a leap of faith and not uh, and just sort of close your eyes to the evidence around you. But no, Christianity is a thinking man's religion. You know, yes. it's, it's logical. It's something that we can. Um, look at and be you know, specifically drawn to. Uh, there, there's a logic to the faith. And if if we will think and, and think through the evidence that is there in Scripture, then we're more likely to come to that knowledge and to be able to, to do something with it. You know, we should not worry if somebody, you know, what if somebody brings up a question I can't answer? Or what if somebody uh, you know, especially as we're evangelizing and spreading the gospel to people, you know, should we be concerned and worried? You know, oh, I hope people don't bring this issue up, uh, you know, because you know that's that's where we we're weak. It's like no, we should be looking forward to those opportunities, so yeah. that way we can grow in our faith and have a, a deeper and better understanding.
0: Yeah, um, let me toss one other little tidbit um, that I was thinking about: the fact that these. These guys become Christians, and because of their kind of their hopefully already high moral and religious character, when we get to 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 some chapters here in just a little while where we start seeing elders being appointed in churches, mm-hmm. um people often ask, "Well you know well, how did these churches get elders so fast because you know many of these people would have been brand new Christians well, these are the types of people who I think would have been in a relatively short period of time they would have been ready to be elders. Because these priests would have already, their, their family and their, their own personal life, would have already kind of been in, in keeping with the requirements that would have been necessary for a man to qualify to be an elder. Uh, and so I'm going to suggest that maybe this is where some of those first elders in, in local churches would have come from, was because of men just like these uh, becoming obedient to the faith. And I think that's worth kind of underscoring as well, the faith. Uh, We're going to see that term used in other places in the Bible. I think about in the book of Jude in particular, what talks about contending for the faith, uh, the faith that was delivered once uh, for all. That indicates to me that there is a set standard of doctrine and teaching uh, by which we must Live and, and adhere to. Uh, it's not about you know you've got your faith and that guy's got his faith and that's your truth and this is my truth. Uh, hmm. There is a single unit of, of of teaching that comprises the faith and uh, that plumbs well of course with exactly what Ephesians chapter four talks about that there is one faith um, and and we want to find that one faith and then be living obediently according to it just like these guys did. Right. Agreed. Um, That then leads us to um, this last little section where we're uh, introduced to this episode with Stephen that's going to then segue right on into chapter 7, but we'll set the stage for that here beginning in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So just stop right there. There is our first indication that, that that laying on of the apostles' hands uh, on Stephen uh, is, is how that miraculous power was was transferred to him because now we've got we got the 12 and now at least the at very least at this point we've now got a 13th person on planet yeah. Earth that is doing signs and wonders uh, amongst the people and it does not uh, engender uh, the the just widespread applause that one might think verse 9 then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. Now, before we look at the, the dispute and some of the accusations that were, were being made, let's talk for a second about, uh, first of all, the this, this synagogue of the freedmen. Any ideas as to what that is?
1: Well, it seems to be, uh, and uh, my knowledge is limited uh, of, of exactly what that is, but uh, it seems to be some people who were pretty good at debating. Uh, That's yeah, certainly one yeah, of pretty... one of the things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I, there was a note uh, that I remember reading in a in a, a marginal note in a Bible once upon a time that the, the freedmen here maybe is a reference to these are maybe Jews who had who had previously been in forced, sl- forced slavery, mm-hmm. but were now free, hence being called the freedmen. Yeah. Uh, and for whatever reason, maybe just the fact that they had been in slavery together, that kind of maybe caused like a, a bond amongst them, mm-hmm. kind of this brotherhood, so to speak. You know, you hear about different, uh, even today, different groups, you know, the Freemasons, and I'm not just saying it just because it's got the word "free" in it, but they, it's <laughs> similar. Where it's like this this brotherhood, yeah. you know, we share some things and have some similar interest, and so we just have this bond. We're our own little religious group, even though they claim that they're not a religious group, uh, and we've got our own set of rules and so forth. Uh, that seems to kind of almost be what what maybe is going on with these guys, because it says they've got their own synagogue. Yeah, you know, they're me- they're they're meeting and they're doing their own thing, and it seems to be different than what. The other Jewish, you know, people are doing, um, and not only do we have folks from that group, but we got certain people uh, from uh, that are Cyrene, or Cyrene, uh, Alexandria, Cilicia, Asia, etc. Um, this seems to be the first example of where we don't so much have religious leadership uh, taking exception to the things that, that these early Christians are teaching. you know. Before we had the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin Council and these folks uh, causing disturbance. Now it seems like we've just got some just regular people mm.
1: yeah.
0: that, are, that are taking offense to the things that these Christians are teaching. Uh, and they rise up and they begin uh, disputing with Stephen, debating uh, however other translations might render that. Verse 10, though, says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit With which he was speaking, and um, well, that just speaks right back to the to the qualifications that Stephen had to meet in the first place in order to be appointed to the duty of serving the tables back in Jerusalem. So, verse eleven: here's how they're going to combat that. All right, since seemingly this guy's knowledge and his wisdom and and the way he conducts himself, it seems to be you know impenetrable Mm -hmm. uh, the the case that he's putting forth here. Well, what can we do? Well, verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, Well, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Let's just stop right there. Um, so this is really, in many ways, this is kind of like um, shadows of what happened in, in the Gospels with Jesus. Yes. You know, Jesus taught, and he of course taught with, you know, uh, uh, full of the Spirit and wisdom himself taught in such a way that there's just no way to, to, to break it and crack it. it. There's no way to deny it. And so what are we going to do? Well, let's just find some people who will just say some uh, really negative and derogatory things. Maybe even take some kernel of truth, but we're just going to make it sound really bad. So, for example, was Stephen saying some things about about Moses? Was he saying some things, teaching some things about the temple and about the various customs and the traditions that had been you know handed down throughout time? Well, I'm sure that he was. Mm-hmm. Was he saying that in some kind of a nasty, ugly, derogatory way, like it seems like they've presented it? I don't believe so. Um, the idea here uh, of of him speaking things against this holy place and against the law and against the end of verse fourteen, the customs that Moses delivered to us, um, these are, People who are very much tied to traditional Judaism. I've said before, the Jewiest of the Jews. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, instead of them seeing that the things that that Stephen and the apostles are teaching is merely just an outgrowth of Judaism, because that's what Jesus is an outgrowth of the Old Testament. Um, Jesus he fulfilled uh, everything that the Old Testament was was talking about. Jesus Himself obeyed everything that the Old Testament commanded and and required. Um, instead of them seeing it and understanding it in that way, they
1: saw it as as well. This guy's coming, bringing something entirely new. I mean, look at the way that they they started out. Like they said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses." Like that—that's what they start with. That's yeah. what they open up with, and and, and then they throw it, and God too. Yeah, it is like okay. Well, who's more important to you? You know, what what do you take more pride in? It seemed like they were they were really big on we follow Moses and, yeah. and we are from Moses and. You know, it doesn't say it here, but a lot of them would say Abraham. You know, Abraham was our father, and he he received the, the covenant, and, and we have all that. And so they were focused on on what made them a distinct nation, of what made them uh, God's chosen people, mm-hmm. and that's that's what they cared about. Yeah. They were, they were so uh, up, upset to think that you know anybody else could be included, and so that that's why they were very exclusive, and that's why we're going to see some of that later on with with the Gentiles.
0: But Their identity was, was seemingly all wrapped up in these uh, rites and um, items that are certainly part of, 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 of the Jewish religion. Um, but even that, all of those things, the law, the temple, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, those things were all designed and given by God in order to draw people to Him to mm-hmm. help people have a heart for Him and to love Him uh, with all their heart, and mind, and soul, and strength, etc, etc. Um, and, and this makes me worry about people today, religiously. And, and and I can make this point talking about other religious groups uh, mm-hmm. that have all of their various, you know, again, rights and formalities and thing, doctrines and things that are part of their religion, uh, but instead of talking about them, I actually I want to talk about the us a little bit because there are things that that we preach really hard mm-hmm. and you know they're very important to us but we can sometimes lose the perspective that needs to be had about those things uh, so for example baptism yeah baptism is really important there's no doubt about that i mean i can quote all the baptism verses in the bible like that mm-hmm. i know them they're important and and and, and it should be and maybe the reason that, that we talk about baptism so much is because so much of the religious world you know, doesn't understand baptism or wants to try to weasel out of that in some way. Yeah. Um, but, but we can get to a point where that becomes our focus. And, and we lose focus of what gives baptism its meaning. What gives baptism its meaning is Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross and the mercy and the grace of God that's what gives baptism the, the force, and um, and that's where the focus needs to be kept about that. Um, I don't ever want you know someone to, to, to look at me and the first thing that they think of is oh yeah you're one of those you know baptismal regenerationists or, or however that they might describe that. Yeah. Um, I, I want somebody to look at me and realize well that guy's a Christian. Right. He loves Christ. Yeah. He 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 loves God and is just trying to follow God. Um, and yeah, baptism is one of the ways that I'm trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we want to be careful about that. And that's just one example. We can do the same thing with uh, any number of, of things that God has given to us. And there's no doubt about that, whether it's things that pertain to our worship uh, or to just our, 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 our daily walk with Him. Uh, we want to always keep in perspective that those are, in many ways, they're, just, they're tools that are uh, a means to an end. And we need to make sure that God is always the end. Yeah. And not
1: the thing itself. Exactly. I, I like to connect this to Matthew 24 with what Jesus says to the Pharisees that, uh, you know, he said, you know, you, you tithe your your garden herbs and you go out and make sure <laughs> yeah. you have exactly 10% of those that you bring in to the offering. And, and you're just so excited that you're keeping that that part of the law. Uh, what Jesus doesn't say to them is you need to stop the tithing. You right. need to. He, he doesn't say that. He says, you know, this you should have done while not neglecting everything else too. Their problem was that they had done that so much, they had forgotten love and mercy and kindness and, yeah. and the major parts of the law and what, what the law was designed to do. Just wrong focus. Um, it is. And and like you were saying, that's that's what we do. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we focus too much on, on some specific acts. Uh, are those important? Should we do that? Absolutely. Should we teach that? Yes. But when we make that the only thing we focus on and the only part of the law that we, we seem to care about, you know, that's the problem, that's the issue. I worry, and
0: there are a lot of congregations, I worry about churches that week after week, the pulpit is just filled with lessons about mm. Why we don't use instrumental music? Yeah. Um, why baptism is essential for for salvation? And tre- I, listen, I preach on those subjects. Yeah. Uh, we we talk about them in our Bible classes and and in, in lots of other venues. And we need to understand those things. Uh, and the list could go on. You know, once upon a time, the the standard gospel meeting, you could just expect you're going to hear lessons on, you know, those those things and you know all these other subjects like it. Yeah. Um and we need to be careful that we're 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 keeping the focus ultimately where where it needs to be and that is that is on God and never again I, I don't want to become like these guys uh, that we're reading about here at the end of Acts chapter 6 because it does seem that their 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 whole mindset and mentality is wrapped up in um this this form of religion and not about who who the religion is supposed to drive them to which is the lord um so their feathers are ruffled, and they bring these accusations uh even get some false witnesses to say these things uh, against Stephen so now Stephen is before that he's now been brought before elders scribes the council and the, the the whole shebang here and verse fifteen gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel um, and that then sets the stage for what happens in chapter 7 where stephen officially uh, gives his response his really it's his defense um, this is a this really is a living example of what peter talked about in 1 peter chapter 3 verse 15 where he says be ready always to give a give an answer or to give a defense really when peter said that uh, he was talking about giving a defense like in a as in a court of law yeah. and here's essentially what what stephen's having to do is to give an answer before this you know, authoritative group, um, and as they look at him, uh, it, it just says that they saw that his face was like the face uh, of an angel. Um, I don't know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not really entirely sure what should be the significance of that hmm. to us, other than just the fact that, that they're recognizing, they've already recognized earlier, that they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he was speaking, and now here's kind of a, a, an outwardly physical manifestation that this man who is speaking um, he's, he's got God on his side I think that's the only thing I've, that's really the main thing I take from it is clearly this guy's you know got some source that's helping him other than uh, than, than what we might think.
1: yeah I wish Luke would have like you know illustrated his manuscript here yeah put and a let picture. us to that but yeah, yeah
0: that would help. Um, so that's, that's chapter 6, and um, like I said, it's, it's kind of a, a, a hard chapter break to make there, but uh, Stephen's speech, or his sermon, it, it's long, um, and it's uh, very detailed, and we'll have to save that for, for next time. But it is, in many ways, it's a masterful sermon that he presents. Um, it's a nice little capsuled version of, of Old Testament history, and he's going to kind of start where these people are, yeah. Uh, and he understands who his audience is. Uh, he doesn't just immediately just jump in and start preaching Christ. Instead, all uh, right, Here's some people that are just tightly holding to their Jewish way of thinking. All right, well let's just go back to the beginning and start talking about you know where all that began. That begins, of course with Abraham, and that's where he'll pick up the sermon uh, next time.
1: Yeah, he was he was ready. I, I, I like this. And like you were saying, be ready to to give it a, d- a defense. Uh, the reason for the, the hope that's within you. It's, and like we said before, this is a logical thing. We need to be prepared. We need to, to know that people are gonna ask questions and we need to be prepared as, as well as we can to answer them. Right. And, uh, there's, there's nothing, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of, of facing some of those questions. Um, and, and this is just an outgrowth. I, I think if you read chap- chapter seven and you don't understand the, the flow of that and the logic behind of the argument, uh need to spend some time there because that's that's really the basis of where our faith you know has a lot of its roots
0: yep well um that's we said a lot about fifteen verses <laughs> good applications yeah. though uh and things for us to to consider and uh we'll look forward to talking about uh chapter seven next time. appreciate so much folks uh tuning in and listening to these and we hope that you uh continue to find these studies helpful and if certainly if there's something that you would question the things that we've said or even something that you disagree about, um, feel free. Reach out to us. You can, um, you can actually, I think, even comment on the podcast page um, where you might be getting these from, or um, especially if you're local. Me and Jason aren't hard to find. We'd be sure. glad to sit down yeah. and, and study these things uh, face-to-face. But uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk about Acts chapter 7 next week.